Greetings, John Clayton here uh, with a special recording of our Sunday School class. Uh, due to technical difficulties, we were unable to upload it and present it to you, uh, the live version that is, and so I'm going to do a brief summary of what we covered in that class. Um, let me pray for us and we'll get started. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for the blessing of this day. We thank you for the blessing of technology that we are able to use to be able to share, to broadcast the teachings from this church. We thank you for the study on the ordinary means of grace. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that your Holy Spirit speaks in and through your word. We pray today that you'd guide and direct us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're on part five uh, on our study of the Word of God in our general study on the ordinary means of grace. And today we're going to look at uh, the topic of corporate recognition and reception of the canon of Scripture. Uh, just a, a real quick review. Uh, in the last study, uh, we covered the divine qualities of Scripture. You, you may recall that I've referred to this as uh, the three legs of a stool, of the stool of uh, the Word of God, and the, the first leg of that is the divine qualities of Scripture. Uh, we looked at uh, beauty and excellency, power and efficacy, unity and harmony, all of these uh, noted as divine qualities of Scripture that, that Scripture reveals to us by the work of the Holy Spirit within us uh, in which we say, aha, yes, that is, that is Scripture. We understand that as Scripture or the, script, or the Holy Spirit reveals to us that that is Scripture. The second area that we looked at is the prophetic and apostolic origins of the canon. Um, and we looked at that in terms of the means of revelation, that is that uh, God chose to speak through the prophets and through the apostles uh, to carry forward to us the Word of God, and uh, we saw and walked through the oral tradition and through the written texts that were delivered to us, and then uh, how the those who were writing Scripture, uh, for example, uh, we'll just pick on Luke, uh, Luke, uh, as directed by uh, the apostles and drawing from the apostolic tradition, uh, was delivering to us, our original, the original readers, of course, in the beginning, uh, Scripture. And there seems to be an authorial awareness of those who are writing Scripture. And I gave uh, several examples uh, from the Apostle Paul. Well, today we're going to look at that third leg of the stool, and that is the corporate recognition and reception of the canon. And I've quoted this before, but just as a refresher, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Uh, there is the understanding that those who are of the elect, those who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, those indwelled by the Spirit, know, recognize the Word of Christ. And this is the case, then, if, if this is the case, and it is, then we should expect that the New Testament church, for example, recognize Scripture. Now, in my lecture today, I'm going to focus primarily on the New Testament canon. And part of the reason I'm going to do that is because we know that Jesus 
and his disciples. We know that the New Testament church recognized what we would call the Old Testament canon uh, as Scripture. And so that is, that is understood. So from a Christian standpoint, we take it for, for granted, for lack of a, a better phrase, uh, that the, the Old Testament canon uh, is, in fact, Scripture as recognized by Jesus and the early church. And in the New Testament era, uh, the church did, in fact, recognize and receive the Word of God. Now, to go back to the beginning of our study on the Word of God, this does not mean that the church is in a position of authority over Scripture. And we need to make that distinction. Uh, this uh, dis- distinction is the difference between our brothers and sisters in the Roman Catholic Church and Protestants. And the Roman Catholic Church believes that the church is in authority over Scripture in the sense that, and let me be clear, in the sense that uh, the councils of the church said, yes, this is Scripture, and this is not Scripture, so forth and so on. Um, as Protestants, what we understand is that as we are not in authority over Scripture, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, we do indeed recognize Scripture. And as it is recognized, it is received. And we see this clearly in our confession. Chapter 1 of the Westminster Confession of Faith uh, deals with this. In point 4, it says, "...the authority of the Holy Scripture, from which it ought to be believed and obeyed, dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church." but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof. And therefore, it is to be received because it is the Word of God. And as I have said before, uh, keeping in mind that this argument is not from the standpoint of of apologetics. I'm not trying to convince non-Christians what is the Word of God or the Bible is the Word of God. Um, That's not the topic for our discussion today. We're talking about Christians who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies to what the Word of God is, and that's what the confession is saying. It's not up to, to man or the church, but rather it is, in fact, the Holy Spirit who testifies. Uh, point five of the first chapter of the Westminster Confession goes on to say, "...we may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of Holy Scripture." And then it goes on, "...yet notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine, divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit." bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. And so you can, you can, you can hear that, that strong uh, Protestant understanding of the Word of God uh, right here at the beginning of the confession. So God chose to convey His Word to His church, and He did that, or I might ask, how did He do that? How did He decide to convey His Word to the church? Well, he could have, of course, delivered scrolls from heaven. He could have, as he did with Moses uh, on Mount Sinai, he could, he could have written by hand on tablets of stone or, or what have you, uh, but he chose to convey his word through normal historical channels. Uh, theologians refer to this as mode of inspiration. Thus, it took time 
for the full canon we have today to be recognized and collected. Because God works through the means of the normal human process of writing and delivery, uh, we should expect that it took a while for the New Testament canon to be recognized and to be received. One of the things uh, is that there are early references uh, to the formation of a New Testament canon, and sometimes this is not as obvious, perhaps, as it should be uh, in reading the New Testament. But the Apostle Peter, for example, says, "...and count the patience of our Lord as salvation." I'm reading from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. "...just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters." There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other Scriptures. And so very early we see Peter writing to the church uh, is acknowledging that the epistles of Paul are indeed Scripture. They're already, the the enemies uh, of God are already seeking to uh, try to twist and turn uh, the Word of God. Uh, And so even prior to the collection of what we would call a New Testament canon, Peter is acknowledging that in fact what Paul is writing in his epistles are indeed Scripture. Furthermore, Paul, writing to Timothy, uh, begins to combine the Old Testament Scriptures with gospel testimony. Uh, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, Paul, quoting from the Old Testament, says, For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And then he joins that with a quote from Jesus as recorded in the gospel accounts. Jesus said, the laborer deserves his wages. And so in a very early point, we see the Apostle Paul joining a quotation from the Old Testament with a quotation from what we understand to be the New Testament. And so... Uh, there are early references, and again, I'm, I'm not going to belabor this point, but the, the point is there are early references to a New Testament canon. Furthermore, within the canon itself, there are inferences of it. For example, earlier in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. And so we hear there... In Peter's letter, a reference to the Old Testament as well as the apostolic authority and delivery in the New Testament canon joined together. Uh, We hear an echo of this in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, in which he says, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Uh, Again, the inference there is, as Paul understands, I'm delivering Scripture to you. I'm delivering the Word of God. I am, in fact, delivering the words of our Lord Jesus. And in his second letter to the Corinthians, he says, 
who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And again, the inference there is, is that God has called appointed, anointed uh, apostles to deliver the Word of God, and so they are, which is certainly the case with the Apostle Paul. And we see this also uh, in the letter to the Hebrews. Quote, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. And again, the writer of, of Hebrews uh, here, uh, who, who I think, as I've said before, I think is, is the Apostle Paul, is saying is, now this was declared to you by the Lord, and we are, of course, those who heard it and attest to it. And so there are these internal inferences within Scripture Added to this is public reading. Um, Again, uh, public reading was a common practice within the synagogue. We see this, of course, when Jesus reads uh, from the Old Testament in the synagogue. And uh, we see this carry forward in the New Testament. Uh, When the epistles were delivered to a church, the church would, in fact, have the epistle read to the congregation. And so, Scripture uh, being publicly read, uh, we see Paul referring in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 to this, when he says, "...until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching." Michael Kruger says in his book, on the New Testament canon, he says that by the second century, the public reading of Scripture in corporate worship was commonplace. According to Justin Martyr, who wrote, quote, And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together in one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read, as long as time permits. Then, when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. And again, what Justice Martyr is saying is is that on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, uh, as the church gathers together, there's a reading from what we would say, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And and I would add that in our uh, liturgy, In our corporate worship, every single Sunday, we have a reading from the Old Testament and a reading from the New Testament. And part of that is in keeping with this Christian uh, tradition. It is argued that the Gospel of Mark and Matthew, written with a sense of liturgical structure for reading in assembled worship. And I I add that to say whether that, that... Whether or not that's the case or not, I don't know. But some scholars do say that the way in which Mark and Matthew are written, it would seem that they were written to be read aloud. And then Paul asked that his letters be read publicly. Uh, In fact, in Colossians chapter 4, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Uh, All of these 
Paul instructs that his letters be read aloud. And in Revelation, if you think about it, the very beginning of Revelation, the Apostle John says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And so we see the consistent public reading of the Scripture. In that public reading, they're already recognizing that, for example, the Gospels are the Word of God. They're already recognizing the Pauline epistles are indeed the Word of God, so forth and so on. Uh, And so in this public reading is a demonstration of uh, the recognition and reception of the canon. And then there is the testimony of the early church fathers and their writings. Uh, For example, in the book 1 Clement, he references 1 Corinthians and he says, quote, "...take up the epistle of that blessed apostle Paul. To be sure, he sent you a letter in the Spirit concerning himself and Cephas and Apollos. And, and in that same letter, he references the book of Romans, Galatians, Philippians, Ephesians, and Hebrews. In addition to that book, there's also uh, what was probably considered uh, the, an early discipleship manual uh, for Christians, the Didache. Uh, which dates to around A.D. 100. And in the Didache, it references the Gospels, it quotes the Lord's Prayer, and it references Christ's commands uh, drawing from the Gospel of Matthew. And then Ignatius, uh, the bishop of Antioch, said, quote, Paul, who was sanctified, who gained a good report, who was right-blessed, in whose footsteps may I be found when I shall attain to God, who in every epistle makes mentions of, mention of you in Christ Jesus. And Ignatius was also referring uh, in his writings to decrees and ordinances of the apostles and the gospels. He overtly, repeatedly emphasizes the absolute authority of the apostles and the apostolic tradition carried forward. Uh, Furthermore, Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, uh, quoted from uh, the Psalms. He also quoted from the Synoptic Gospels, Ephesians. He alludes to Romans uh, and 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 2 Thessalonians, and 1 and 2 Timothy. And so where I'm going with this is, and and I could go on and on, uh, there's there's plenty more, uh, but for sake of time, uh, the point is, is that we see in the early church fathers a recognition and also the reception of what would eventually become our full New Testament canon of Scripture. Well, we're going to continue with this and and dive a little bit deeper uh, as we continue on. Uh, But the point today is, is that we are blessed with a complete canon of Scripture. Genesis to Malachi, as the Old Testament books are organized within our, uh, our modern Old Testament, <laughs> quote-unquote modern uh, Old Testament canon, and Matthew to Revelation. Uh, this is a complete canon of Scripture that God has delivered to us. We are indeed blessed. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you so much that you are not silent. 
but You have spoken to us and speak to us through Your Word. We thank You for what You have delivered to us. And may we be a people who are faithful to go to Your Word, to read it, to meditate upon it, to study it, to be faithful to be under the preaching of it. And all of this we ask through the help of Your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen.